Hello, and welcome to the Nakatomi Break Room. I am your host, Christian Seal. I am joined by my co-host, Xander Massey. Hello. And Blake Bauman. Yo. We are three working stiffs in the film industry who happen to love movies. I work in visual effects. Xander has a background in film finance and distribution. And Blake works in feature animation. Here we talk about the art, business, and culture of cinema. Hell yeah, we do. I would agree. We should start with the Batman. I feel like the gold standard, kind of like the running champion, is the Dark Knight. Are you guys on board with that? Like, that's kind of the one to beat, I feel like. Yeah, I would agree. And the bar wasn't too high before that, but then it really did set the bar high. Before it was the Tim Burton Batmans, and I feel like those were dethroned by the Chris Nolan Dark Knight. Yeah. That one, for me, because I feel like that one is like a real movie, it's not like a superhero movie of the the times where like if you i mean it's basically like a legitimate crime drama if you look at like the way it was shot it looks like like the movie heat yeah absolutely i i mean i would say this new one even more so i was scrubbing through it right before this (laughs) you didn't watch it (laughs) no i I, I watched i watched it but i was scrubbing through it for another uh, just like you know fresh in uh, fresh in my memory i got to the scene where um where he's watching catwoman like zoe kravitz change into catwoman and it just felt like this erotic thriller what is kind of interesting is they're both Batman and the the Riddler. They have their watching scenes, like the voyeurism. I mean, yeah, they're both a couple of creeps, basically. They are. They're not really that different. You know, that's kind of an old, like, cinema slash literature trope where the villain and the hero are kind of the same or they have the same goal. It's the what separates them is their means. Right. And that's, like, very much what's happening here. Yeah. On the one hand, you have Batman, who is a goth fuckboy, and <laughs> the Riddler, who is a, uh, a serial killer slash duct tape fetishist who only orders cappuccinos if the barista puts a question mark on it, <laughs> <laughs> which might be the most offensive thing he does. <laughs> I, would truly, agree. I would agree. Truly a monster. And no, also, did you guys notice that was like, like Mel's diner in a streamlined trailer? Who goes yeah. to a diner and order? Who goes to an all night diner and orders a cappuccino? I mean, come on. A fucking crazy person. It's such a slow shot. You know, it's like, why are we just slowly creeping up this coffee cup? And I know it's supposed to build tension and suspense, and then we get to see it. It reads both as like an intense shot and as a comedic. Is it supposed to be comedic? I thought it was supposed to be serious. Oh, I I don't think it's supposed to be. I don't think it's supposed to be comedic. It's supposed to let the audience know that this is the Riddler. It's, how do you pronounce his last name? Is it Dano or Dano? Or I've always said Dano. I've you, always you said Dano. Are... Oh, really? Are, are we fighting here the, over <laughs> uh, pronunciation here? Paul Dano, this is the first Paul Dano. conflict. First <laughs> conflict of the series. I mean, is he scary? Does he come off scary? I was going to say, I feel like overall, I don't know if scary was really the intention there. I feel like the movie is supposed to paint Dano as a creepy guy or like a scary guy. To me, he he just kind of comes off like the kid who pulls his pants all the way down to his ankles at the (laughs) urinal. Just kind of a weirdo. I guess I would say that he's probably not the right casting choice, in my opinion. He's the guy that you cast when you need somebody who is sniffling. You know, the character in Looper, There Will Be Blood. But he's, I feel like he's pretty powerful in There Will Be Blood. Yeah. 
But he's also sniveling. But he is also sniveling. He he's both. No, his. Uh, I feel like his character here is like very much mirrored uh, from his uh, his role in Prisoners. And he takes sniveling to a whole new level in Prisoners. He went full snivel. Full snivel. <laughs> and what okay. a great movie, by the way. Shout out to Deacons. Oh, great so cinematographer. Good. I haven't seen that anyway, movie. It's one of the better uh, Villeneuve movies. For sure. How do you feel about what was supposed to be the original casting for the Riddler, Jonah Hill? Is he still going to wear the gimp costume from Pulp Fiction and and like run around rubbing duct tape on people? (laughs) Maybe. I feel like, you know, knowing Matt Reeves, I know that he had a lot of uh, motivations from uh, Zodiac wanting to match that kind of get up with the glasses. Yes, that was very much an inspiration. And so and the cipher. I definitely see, yes, yes, which I love. I mean, that's just like one of my favorite movies of all time. So I loved the mirror there, but I was trying to really picture Jonah Hill being that I feel like the direction of that character would have been very different if you had given it to somebody like Jonah Hill, because Paul Dano did very much of like his other sniveling characters of you as you described and he kind of matched that but jonah hill i just don't really see him being that same creepy i i just don't see the character yeah, going in that direction i think i mean first of all i should say i'm a big paul dano fan but i think it, it's more visceral he's like it, there's something where you're supposed to feel bad for this character and and uh and and like you want to like you want to give yourself a moment to think does he have a point in any way you know, can I can I in some way understand what he's doing? Because that's like to me, that's the tenet of a great villain is like it, it, it's like their actions make sense in some way. Um, oh, and, sure. I mean, he's trying to do the same thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. He thinks he's fighting crime. And and so Jonah Hill, I just like while I do, I am a big fan of Jonah Hill. I don't see his acting as being the same type of relatable uh, as what Paul Dano can accomplish. I mean, it would have taken it in a very different direction, assuming that, you know, he didn't play it completely straight and creepy. Would have been very different. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that alternate universe where Nicolas Cage is Superman and, and all those other things. Jonah Hill is the creepy uh, Riddler. I feel like Scary wasn't really the intention, more of just misunderstood but to a whole nother level yeah i I could see that i mean i thought he was supposed to come off as creepy he's definitely on the creepy side yeah this character is a serial killer i mean it appears that he's just killing people so he can duct tape them and and get off on it that first scene where he's just like tearing it so slowly yeah i mean that whole scene just seems like he's getting off and like all in leather it's like it, it is a very like crazy guy erotic scene is this an upgrade from the Jim Carrey Riddler? Oh I mean, yeah. Well, one it, it depends on it depends on what you what you want out of it. Just because I feel like there's a lot of you know comic book aficionados who appreciate the costume and the getup of definitely a more like cartoony based Riddler that shouldn't be taken seriously, but I guess would be more comic accurate. Jim Carrey went all out for that. And I do think that there is a side of fandom that is a huge fan of that version of the Riddler. And I think though that Matt Reeves was fully intent on bringing the Batman into like the real world. 
And I just think that Paul Dano, he definitely brought like a new element to it that it's funny how we started talking about the Dark Knight about there was that whole generation of looking at the Dark Knight like, oh, this is Batman if it was taking place in the real world. And then we have Matt Reeves, which brought us to like an an even grittier version of like, oh, no, this is real world Batman. So it's interesting how like everyone's just trying to one up like, okay, no, this is what Batman would, would like look like in a very real world. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the next Batman's just going to be him like sitting at a desk drinking a cup of coffee. It's like, this fair, is the real fair. world. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but no, it, it is true. It's like it, the, the, I mean, like you would never mistake the Jim Carrey Riddler as, as real, you know, and it's, it's supposed to feel very comic booky. Yeah. He could it. never exist in reality. Yeah. And, and I love that movie. Um, and I've always liked the Riddler. Uh, but maybe one downfall of that movie is that the Riddler has to kind of compete uh, for being like the great villain with Two-Face because uh, he's kind of like secondary in that movie, right? I mean, looking at the history of the Riddler, it was very comic accurate. And I mean, looking at the even Val Kilmer's um, take on Batman, looking at Tommy Lee Jones' version of Two-Face, everything about that was very, very much looking towards like, okay, we don't want this to be taken too seriously like we're gonna do kind of almost like a not a full-on comic book version of batman but they took a look at the tim burton uh the tim burton versions of batman and be like no we don't want to do that we want to go in a a more direction in a way that's making batman a little bit more lighthearted because they even looked at tim burton's version of like whoa this is like way too dark let's try to do something that's going to be a little bit more family friendly or like more fun yeah Yeah. no it it was absolutely a a return to the more like flamboyant sixties style of silly comic-y Batman. Cause you have what, and this is what I was talking about with, um, you know, you kind of have them define the times, the, the Tim Burton Batman's made them dark noirish, And I don't know if there were Batman movies, but when I think of like Batman pre Tim Burton, I think of Adam West and like the purple suit and, mm-hmm you know, Cesar Romero in like the goofy suit. Like that's pre Tim Burton. And then Tim Burton kind of started the whole noir kick. I think, um, I mean, I, I assume the comics had kind of been that way all along, but that was the first movie to really introduce that along with slanty doors and stripy pants. <laughs> what makes the dark Knight stand out to me is it brought Batman kind of like into the daylight. Cause I feel like this movie I mean, there's maybe like one scene that takes place during the day. It's like exclusively night, which, by the yeah. way, like, I mean, two months of night shoots. Brutal. <laughs> brutal. Yeah, you just become a nocturnal animal. Dark Knight starts with, uh, you know, a like legit crime heist set piece that introduces the Joker. But it's, you know, there's no like moodiness. There's no shadows. Like, it's just I mean, it's like the end scene of Heat where, you know, they hit the bank. Yeah, I mean, Dark Knight has has a real hook to it. The the Batman is you know slow, like voiceover, like the 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 speech about being living in the shadows is is or, or you know being the shadows is uh, is awesome. Like I, I love that speech, but it also is not something that uh, that's like starting off with a bang. It's like like even that fight scene itself is kind of toned down. It's no, it's it, a very slow burn. Yeah. yeah, you know, if this wasn't a Batman movie, do you think it would even be? that commercial. But right. Without- if it was, if he was just like a cop, 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I feel like most of the good Batman movies have been kind of more or less a detective story. And I think that probably goes back to the comics, because my understanding is that Bruce Wayne is is like the world's greatest detective in the comics. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because we have never seen a Batman like this before, a hardcore detective really relying on his problem solving skills in order to like just find out more about the Riddler. I do think that it got a little jumbled. I almost forgot that the Riddler was the main villain. And then after we get into all of like, you know, the crime stuff with falcone and with the penguin and i think that kind of did the movie a disservice they did a little bit of like what would be mostly a marvel issue of we tried to just deal with too many villains in the same movie i felt a little bit of that and i didn't expect that but i did like the detective aspect of it It gave us an aspect of batman that i haven't seen before this movie's too long (laughs) yeah it's definitely there's no two ways about it it's it's an hour too long like i'm having a hard time thinking of areas where i would want to cut out just for the sake of time and i hate to say it but i feel like the whole Catwoman it provides batman a love interest which the tim burton batman's Catwoman had the uh, michelle pfeiffer had been a love interest for batman and it seems kind of in line with that i don't yeah remember that really being a thing with anne hathaway and the nolan batman but I mean, beyond that, I feel like we could probably lose about half an hour of screen time just by cutting that character. Yeah, actually, yeah, I would I, kind of, I would kind of agree with you. I felt like there was a little bit of, I, I, I still think that last hour of the movie, if that was shortened down, and I just knowing the background of the Riddler and knowing that this version of the Riddler was going to be like a new, a new version, it was just going to be like a very creepy kind of like. Uh, obsessive very much about like let's give you the clues and let's figure out this mystery kind of thing so I was a little disappointed when we reached the end and it ended up being like you know this all of his followers jumping on this um, you know big campaign victory event at a massive arena I felt like that was so uncharacteristic of the kind of character he was because there were just like these little clues here and there. And I really felt like the grittiness of this movie, just like the darkness of it would have led to, I was really looking forward to just a one-on-one between Batman and the Riddler, maybe in like a bunker somewhere. And it was really all about the clues. It was kind of frustrating that the final Riddler moment had nothing to do with clues. It was just almost like this, like, intentional massacre and right. they jump they jump the shark at the end for sure exactly totally and um i thought i would have liked a more confined race against the clock kind of moment to mirror the car moment of the the car bomb attached to the, uh, the da that's what i really wanted out of the ending so yeah i was a little disappointed that they went that route right you wanted him to like beat him at his own game like exactly to, yeah to de-riddle him yeah i mean there's obvious there's an obvious correlation between like real world, like, you know, we're living in the, you know, post Trump era. Obviously those connections were pretty obvious of connecting somebody obviously connected to uh, the internet, wanting fame, wanting attention, um, obviously is a psychopath and is using all means in order to create an online following and is going to the extreme in order to do so. So on the note of odd casting choices, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. Well, first of all, I I paused it on like just a 
you know, shot of him to try and, to see him. Yeah. You just can't see him. He's like, I totally can't see didn't. him. I, yeah. I know it's him and I can't, it's like, um, Glenn Close in hook. I can't see it. Yeah. It's it, which, which is, you know, kind of begs the question and the question that's been asked in other times where they like put a ton of makeup on a, on a name actor. It's like, well, why'd you even hire this person? If I can't, you know, you can't put their face in a totally. commercial. It doesn't really play to any of Colin Farrell's strengths. Yeah. I mean, other than that, it's a good performance. He's a good actor. You know, I don't think of Colin Farrell as being like a chameleon type actor. You know, I think of like great character actors like Melissa Leo or, you know, even like Tilda Swinton or you're like, what? Yeah. Um, it should have been Tilda Swinton. But actually, Tilda, Tilda Swinton as the penguin. Tilda Swinton would have yeah. nailed it. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, Tilda Swinton as the penguin and Jonah Hill as the Riddler. Now we got a good movie on our hands. Talk about a better movie. Are you guys on board for Zoe Kravitz just as an actress? I feel like she has pretty big acting chops. I feel like this didn't give her a ton to work with, but I like her. I think she's a good actress. I will watch her in anything. <laughs> I had watched the movie Kimmy. Which yeah, I watched oof, that. By the way, not a good yeah, movie. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Yeah, not great. And Soderbergh, too. I mean, Kate saw it. It was obviously bad from the trailer. I saw it with Soderbergh, so I gave it a shot. And man, what a letdown. He, I mean, he is not a reliable director. He, he makes some good movies and some stinkers. There was a time where I decided to work through his movies and I didn't get very far because he's like a big one for me, one for them kind of guy. And when he, even when he's doing one for me, he's completely unhinged. Like he'll go anywhere with the movie. And sometimes that works in his favor and sometimes that works against him. All right. Well, let's get back to the Batman. I mean, I think I'm going to speak for all three of us. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Jeffrey Wright. Excellent choice for Gordon. Times a hundred. Following up Gary Oldman, tough act to follow. That is tough. I love the dynamic between him and Robert Pattinson as well. I feel like they shared the screen for so much of the movie. So you knew that you had to have like that good, good dynamic between the two of them. And I feel like they just nailed it. It's almost like these Batman movies are kind of more of a vehicle for like a great supporting cast. The only other supporting actor I think we haven't mentioned is Andy Serkis. A solid Alfred. I would not say my top Alfred. How can you beat Michael Caine, you know? I mean, it's also not the best written Alfred either. No, he has nothing to do in this movie. He might as well Mm -hmm. be like a cardboard cutout of Michael Caine. His biggest scene is getting the cipher wrong. He's trying to figure (laughs) out, like, that's it. (laughs) A lot of daddy issues in this movie. Yeah, you're not my dad. With Pattinson, it's a great casting choice. And like Pattinson has done some really interesting stuff and he's he's definitely caught my eye as an actor. The thing I think was probably the most successful about this movie in my opinion was that this Pattinson character feels when he's playing Bruce Wayne he feels like somebody who really would do this. Yeah. Like he's awkward, clearly uncomfortable being in public in the daylight, doesn't want to talk to people, is probably not very pleasant to be around. Yeah, he's clearly a broken guy and he is misattributing his sad, you know, his depression in a way of like trying to find vengeance. And there are a lot of scenes where you're where you're looking at him and you see the way other people in the world are reacting to him and it seems like this crazy guy who decided to put on a, a you know, bulletproof uh, a bulletproof costume and go around and fight crime, you know, because you always see people in, in other Batman movies being like calling him a freak and being like, you know, treating him like he's, the, the you know, this outcast. 
And from our perspective, he's this badass guy who's like fighting crime and has a bunch of really cool toys to play with. And in this movie, it's like, yeah, that guy is a freak, which is like... I also love the unhinged aspect of it too. Like he's young in his Batman career. He has yet to really figure out what kind of hero or anti-hero that he wants to be. You can just tell even from the symbol, like just that opening sequence of lurking in the shadows, people just are afraid to do anything because... He'll just pop out and just like beat the hell out of you. You don't know. He could go too far. He could kill somebody. I know that he's trying not to, but you wouldn't be surprised if he would. Like this, he version. almost does. Yeah, he almost yeah. does at the end. They had to restrain him. Yeah, I mean, it's. I feel like this is kind of the evolution of the Batman movies. Is that we're moving more toward this kind of like gritty early Batman. In this, you know, they make a point several times of showing that. He's just wearing like off the shelf boots. He doesn't have the fancy costume. I mean, he's wearing his mask is made of leather and it's not even that high quality. It's like single stitch. The Chris Nolan Batman had, you know, major production runs of the costume. That was a mass produced Batman. This is single stitch Craigslist Batman. You know what we're missing out of this movie? I'm just now realizing we need a, a Spider-Man S Danny Elfman score background montage of him just sewing it himself. He's got his goth <laughs> makeup on. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to be a bat. I'm going to be a bat. And he just gets in that mindset. Then boom, he's got the costume. I totally see that in another universe. That's, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. Yeah. And, and I hate my father. Right. I th- yeah, he probably <laughs> should be dad, crying. Should. He should be crying the whole time. He while should. He, does it. he should. <laughs> so how do we see the future of Robert Pattinson now that he has big budget, like as his like most recent release? Right. So, let me get this straight. You're asking, will Pattinson die a hero or will he live long enough <laughs> to see himself become a villain? That is what I'm asking. That is what I'm asking. Because I feel like he's just, he may go down this track of just like, you know, back to big budget filmmaking. And I don't, uh, I don't know, because as we all saw in good time, like he's just, he really can just take on so many different kinds of roles. He is kind of like a very transformative actor. I feel like his, his role in good time, which is revisiting it was like such a treat just because I forgot how bonkers the movie is. Yeah. He is like the lifeblood of the whole movie. Like you follow him like through the whole thing. Good time is the movie that put him on the map for me. I did hear that he specifically reached out to the Safdie brothers saying that I like I need to be involved in whatever you're doing and that ultimately led to good time. That's awesome. I love that. Good time eventually led to stuff like High Life. I feel like it was the lighthouse that really just I feel like that was the first movie that really pushed him like, okay, no, he's going he's going big. He's going big. Because his next big one after that was was Tenet. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot he was even in that. But yeah, I mean, let's move into Good Time. Amazing movie. I I watched both these back to back, by the way. So it was kind of like what a um, double feature. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it was kind of like I f- would liken the experience to going to a really fancy restaurant and getting like 15 courses, but they're all like kind of small and not very good. And then you leave feeling unsatisfied and then going like around the corner to like the little, you know, hole in the wall shop and having like one of the best meals of your life. What a treat this movie is and i haven't seen it in a while but man it's so fucking good i threw on i threw on the vr headset and rented it from uh youtube and i like it, you're not watching it in vr but you're watching it on a big screen in the vr headset 
And it was a great way to watch that movie. I was just in the Wait, zone. Wait, you watched the whole movie on the Oculus? Yes, I did. I've tried it, uh, I've tried it a couple other times, and it, it depends on the movie. And you do have to take breaks, I think. It's an awesome way to do it. And, like, there, you know, uh, like, jumping to the end of the movie, but there's, like, that scene where the camera whips up to see the guy falling off the building. Felt like I just turned my head and saw this guy, like, climbing on the outside of the building. So it was just, like, uh, it's already an extremely immersive movie, so it, it made a lot of sense in that in that medium. Yeah. I feel like I can taste that movie. It's yeah. just so like textural and, and grit. And I mean, like we're talking about two movies that were basically entirely shot at night and how different they are. I don't think there were any sets. Although what, what I found weird is I think the movie opens with a helicopter shot and there's one mm-hmm. at the end or around halfway through too. So it's like helicopter shots are really expensive. That's like a high budget thing. Hmm. I found that kind of interesting because the rest of the movie, you know, you could have shot for basically nothing and they probably did. What people don't realize is that, you know, when they go into an abandoned amusement park at night, it's because the location is available at night when the business is closed right. and you make it work for the story. I just yeah, think and, it's and, hilarious that like rewatching it of how the second half of the movie is like just a massive tangent. Like the, it, it's almost as if the Safties were in a room and they were writing the movie and be like, okay, we're walk, we're, we're writing this like gritty, uh, this gritty movie about, you know, a guy just trying to get his brother out of jail. And then they go into this massive tangent and like, yeah, we're just going to try to go try to like find this acid so we could sell it. And we're going to go to this like weird amusement park. Like it's so weird that like when you talk about this movie, you forget that there's this whole second half that doesn't even seem like it's part of the same movie. It's crazy. That scene where they pour all of that acid into that guy's mouth. Every time I Dude. see that, I just like I, I vocally like uh, respond because it's just an just so much it's too much i mean they, that is a fate worse than death like <laughs> yeah. they would have been better off killing that guy yeah. that's like what what really is the turning point for that character where he goes from being an anti-hero who's obviously a flawed character to just a straight-up villain the first time i watched that movie i immediately afterwards had a discussion with my girlfriend about whether or not he was saving his brother basically because he's the one be who made. got him in trouble in the first place well it would, didn't he break his grandma's arm isn't that why he started in the in the hospital? Is that why they needed the money? They yeah. Well, so they so he breaks his grandma's arm. He gets you know arrested. It's a very quick line that they mention it. Oh, and so yeah, I so totally then, missed that. So then he's in this like institution, and then Robert Pattinson goes and breaks him out. And so my understanding, and they they like they don't ever specify this, but my understanding is they're going to steal money so that they can run away to like Virginia or something so they can, you know, be on the run from this institution. Cause, cause I, I didn't yeah. catch that. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'm, me too. I, I completely missed that. But I feel like normally in a movie, he would be trying to like get his brother out of jail. The inciting incident, I guess would happen kind of beforehand. He is on his hero's journey to do whatever he's doing in this case, like get his brother out. But in this, he robs a bank with him and his brother doesn't understand what he's doing. So he's yeah. victimized by the Robert Pattinson character basically at every step. And right, right. he gets him into trouble and it just sets off this whole series of events. And that's, I mean, that's part of what makes this such an amazing movie is that like everybody, all of the story points are driven by the choices of the characters. And it's all so much like, it's almost got like a blood simple kind of vibe where, you know, all the action is driven just by these 
series of choices that the actors make. He's a he's a screw up and he's a menace. And 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 on this watching, it was very clear that all of his actions were definitely not in his brother's best interest. But there's a part of the entertainment value is that he's smart. He thinks on his feet very quickly. And I think that's one of the most one of the things that makes a character compelling because he has that like it feels like it saved the cat at first. But then it's like, okay, this isn't save the cat. This guy's a degenerate, but he's a smart degenerate. There's the scene near the end where he's arguing with the other guy and the guy's like, he's like, you're a fuck up. I'm better than you. There is some something of a distinction between the two of them. Like there's like it feels like Robert Pattinson has legitimate motivation while the, the, you know, other character is is really just a screw up. He gets out of jail. He goes and hangs out with his friends. He ends up diving out of a car going 60 miles an hour back in the hospital, back in jail. 24 hours before he ultimately like falls to his death <laughs> yeah. through a equally unfortunate series of events. It, it is interesting. Like there, there's like a moment where they're walking, I guess, I think maybe when they're walking together into the, the guy's apartment, which seems like such a bad plan. I don't know why they decided to go to that apartment. It almost but seemed I, like he was homeless. There's no point where he ever just goes home. Well, again, like I think they both lived with the grandma. And that, I mean, there's like, there's a lot of inference that I, that I, I guess I'm like filling in gaps that are not really filled in. Yeah, no, but that's good because I didn't catch that at all. I just kept thinking like, why don't they just go home? I mean, he's not, doesn't seem welcome, welcome back home at least. You know, he's definitely not welcome at his girlfriend's house. Right. Played by the great Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah. I love her complaining to her mom in the, in like the bail bonds place. Her phone conversation (laughs) is next level. It's so great. It's. I mean, so I saw this movie when it came out, and that's one of the few things that I remembered before I just rewatched this is that scene where she's like trying to get the credit card to go through. You know, anybody who's ever been broke has been in that exact same situation and how horrible it is. Gut wrenching. I know we discussed a little bit about Robert Pattinson. feel like he just put in through like a massive great performance but uh yeah jennifer jason lee was fantastic um how do you guys think about uh benny sapti playing the brother i can't believe how convincing he is did you guys notice at the end after the whole thing at the apartment building with pattinson where it's the shot of benny safty and it's kind of a slow pullback and the word director is like cropped off at the bottom of the sign for the whole shot it's like him and the word director i mean this is almost kind of the opposite of batman when you talk about casting where you know to make a good batman movie you need a real curation of great supporting actors and this is like my understanding is a lot of these people aren't actually actors at all the guy who has the acid who falls to his death i feel like it's probably just one of their friends my girlfriend and I researched this after we watched the movie the first time. And he was like a former crackhead who they like, who they, you know, came in contact with and hired to start being in their films. So he oh, that is like, so funny because I believe it. There's like some truth to the character that he's playing. One of, you know, the more memorable parts of this movie are the doctor, the performance of the, I think he's a psychiatrist, but he's got this great scene in the beginning that, is kind of reminiscent of that the end of Captain Phillips where the the EMT is helping him after he's gotten rescued where the doctor's just he's so patient and so understanding and he really comes off like he is trying to help and it, it's such a great contrast to the Pattinson character who is wants to believe that he is helping but he's kind of just more in it for himself. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? Like he kind of looks like David Cronenberg. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he does. He does. Yeah, he's social. The social worker, I, I would guess. Oh, he's guessing. a social worker. Okay, I'm guessing. He that's seemed what like he, he is, had some medical training, but maybe maybe he's a psychiatrist. I feel like this movie is kind of like him taking advantage of 
of these people who are appear to be like genuinely good, where it's like the bus driver who helps him get mm-hmm. out of the hospital, the woman who lets him into her house mm-hmm. and is hang- he's hanging out with the granddaughter. And then the granddaughter, the girl ends up being like really helpful to him. And he just is continually like victimizing all of these people in some way. He starts as kind of an anti-hero and then ends up becoming a straight up villain. I feel like his intentions are in his mind still there he's just doing it in like the complete wrong way but i do think that it's not as like what is it uh Black selfish as oh, yeah. we were we were previously discussing so at the end the the social worker slash psychiatrist he does say your brother made the right choice he did the right thing so i think that he did end up telling the court or whatever that he was ultimately responsible it wasn't his brother like he did not let his brother go down Right. That was the the implication of that line. So he did, I don't want to say redeem himself because he definitely didn't, but he does have that saving grace at the end where, you know, it's, it's not black and white. He isn't just a pure sociopath. He is a human being at the end of it. I think the genius of, of the Safties is this, the humanity that this movie has where even just like little moments, like, like when he, uh, he's in the hospital and he pours the, or he doesn't pour, but he gives the old woman in the hospital bed a little drink of apple juice or something yeah. and then takes a sip himself. I don't know. I guess you could make an argument, I suppose, that that's him just kind of being like crazy and evil. But it, I felt it came off like a very human moment. Yeah, it's compassionate. Which movie does Robert Pattinson look less healthy in? <laughs> <laughs> right. Is he going to go like full Christian Bale with the machinist in his next movie? And just- yeah. Like a, a walking corpse. I feel like he's already halfway there. Robert Pattinson is very, um, he's scary alone. Like just the person, not even in the suit. Uh, I feel like he's just very, uh, he's, I know he's supposed to be a little bit built up, but that one scene when he's overlooking all of the clues and everything, like I'm like, dude still kind of looks a little unkept. Like yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's kind of he's still hunched a over. He's hunched over, wiry, and his eyes are like, you know, mm-hmm. huge bags under his eyes and inset. He does kind of look like a heroin addict who lifted weights for a while. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. There you go. Yeah, the yeah, question is, do- which which movie is he palest in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is he, he's mm-hmm. wearing white face in Twilight. I feel like Twilight's kind of got him beat there, but it's, it's a close second, which is saying a lot. The fact that, uh, you know, y- your paleness is matching Twilight. <laughs> Back to the Safety brothers. This this isn't exactly like breaking news, but did you guys hear that they are going to do another movie with Adam Sandler? Uncut Gems was very mixed in its reception, wasn't it? I, I thought it, was, it got pretty good reviews, but I know it was like great movies you only want to see once kind of response. Um, I mean, sign me up for that. I don't know, overlapping talking for like two plus hours. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I, I unintentionally saw that movie three times in theaters. God, man. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, um, I guess uh, segue. Are you guys watching anything interesting? Um, yeah, it's called Fresh. It's with Sebastian Stan. I, I, I don't really want to give anything away because I went to it, into it pretty blind. 
it's a horror comedy and and I would highly recommend it. Speaking of Sebastian Stan, have you guys seen the uh, the Pamela Tommy? I really liked it, but it that that shows like junk food. Like it's it's a stupid show, but it, I mean I love the internet side of it, the the development of of the internet, and I love the like you know I I definitely was uh, going through puberty when that sex tape was coming out, so I certainly remember that. And so yeah, I I, I was a big fan of that. Blake, take it away. I would highly recommend anybody jumping into Better Call Saul. It has continually showed me that just like Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, the creators of the show, are just like top-notch writers. It is by far the best show currently on television, and I don't think I I don't think that there's anything that close. It's that's that's a just, bold statement. Yeah, what about is. Barry? We we're living in a world of Rick and Morty. So, yeah, the great yeah, I, uh, Bob Odenkirk. He's also reached the point in his career where he's the uh, the midlife crisis of Hollywood actors, which is apparently doing a John Wick movie. Yes. <laughs> I'm all about it, though. I'm all they about work. it. Christian, any uh, recommends beyond uh, uh, beyond uh, Payment Tommy? I don't know that I would recommend that. It definitely <laughs> was a fun time. And, and I love uh, Lily James. I think she's great. I mean, there's a lot of kind of random hidden gems scattered throughout the usual suspects of the streaming services. District 9, I just rewatched again for the first time since it came out. I love Amazing. that movie. Yeah. It totally holds up. Way, way more depressing and hard to watch than I remember. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, you can watch that movie and have no idea of the political statement it's making, but there's a lot of politics behind that movie. For sure. It's a little... It's a little disappointing that uh, Neil Blomkamp ended up going down kind of like uh, the chappy hole. Yeah, yeah it's chappy such hole. a bummer because I do think that he started off so strong with District 9. And then, you know, he did Elysium with Matt Damon, which was fine. Oof. It was nothing great, but I mean, it wasn't the worst. Yeah. And then we and then we get to Chappie and then it's like, oh, man, <laughs> like so bad. Um but yeah, I, I mean, a hell of a were... start. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've heard rumblings that they might actually do a sequel to that, which I would love. I would love to jump back into that world. I, th- I found it to be so fascinating. But yeah, I got to read that that's... one. That's a good recommend. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Nakatomi Break Room. I am your host, Christian Seal, joined as always by Xander Massey and Blake Bauman. See you, everybody. Catch us next time. <laughs>